You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good to see you today. Y'all doing all right? Good. You're nice and awake. I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to try to keep you that way <laughs> as this message goes on. I'm looking forward to our time together. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm the, uh, one of the pastors here, the lead pastor here, and I'm just so glad that you're joining us today for uh, as we continue the series we began last Sunday, uh, a kind of annual tradition around here. We call it the Psalms of Summer, because if you don't know this, a psalm is a uh, historical uh, I'm sorry, a, we good? Ancient, it's an ancient Hebrew uh, poem or song. So we get this kind of real clever title for this series, Psalms of Summer. There we go. You see that? See how that works together? Genius. So uh, today, the psalm that we're going to be in is Psalm chapter 8, and Trish is going to read that for us. So let's uh, follow along here. In fact, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning, everyone. Psalm 8, one of my favorites. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Trish. All right. Um, so the way that we do this series is basically say, okay, uh, pick a psalm that you want to teach on because there are 150 to choose from. And, you know, so we, the reason that I chose this psalm, Psalm 8, is because I think that it has a, uh, I, don't, I don't know, best way to put it, but it, it grounds me, and I hope that you'll find that it grounds you in reality. Like there's something that it's a couple of things that it says here that I just find really uh, helpful in orienting myself. And again, I hope you find the same thing. That what what is true? What is true specifically about uh, the majesty or the magnificence of God, and about the significance of you, and really all humanity. And I, I think that this is a helpful song to reflect on because uh, I, what I have experienced personally and what I've seen in, in really everyone <laughs> is that we tend to naturally have a low view on God. Like, I don't think any of us are going to get to stand before the presence of God one day and think, you know, I really was expecting that to be better. You know, I was really expecting more of, of that, of him. You know, no, I, mean, I think we all carry a low a low or uh, you know, a view of God that doesn't actually align with the reality of how magnificent he is. 
And I think that all of us uh, carry with us or feel a sense of um, uh, uncertain or shaky grasp of our own significance. That many of us might I'm, I'm really significant, perhaps. You might have too, view, too big a view of yourself, but most of us actually have a really shaky view of our own significance, and we, we lose sight of reality. This psalm will confront us in both of those ways, and I think in a beautiful way. And so let me pray as we get started, and then let's jump into, into this. Father, we, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, and that your spirit would, would make this come home to our hearts, that we would more clearly see how incredible, how magnificent you are. And, Lord, that we would also see how significant we are, especially how significant we are to you. Now, impress this upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, I don't know for sure the exact context of this psalm, but my guess is this is, I know that the author is King David, and in my mind I just picture that he's like walked out on the palace rooftop one night on a cloudless night, and he's looked up at the heavens, he's looked up at the starry sky, and he's just been blown away, and he has this thought, I can't believe that God made all of this. And in that thinking, he, he says, like, he just moves him uh, in awe and wonder to worship God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That you set your glory above the heavens, or your, the heavens declare your glory, that they communicate what you're like, and you're amazing. Think about Psalm 19, that's kind of the language there. I think that that's the experience that uh, King David is having at this moment, and again, it moves him to worship God as he more fully recognizes just how majestic, how magnificent God is. It has that effect, moving him to worship. It also has the effect of making him feel very small, right? And so in Psalm, I mean, uh, verse uh, 3 in this uh, Psalm, he says, uh, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Uh, I was reading this this week. The, the song that was coming to my mind uh, was, uh, I think it's, you say it, Holocene. It's a Holocene, the old uh, Bon Iver song where it repeats this chorus where it says, and at, and at once I knew that I was not magnificent. You know, it's like he sees and glimpses just the magnificence of God, and he feels like, man, I'm not magnificent when it comes to, in comparison to God's glory. Um, I think that's kind of the experience that King David is having at this time. Like the heavens, meaning the star, the, the stars, the starry sky, he says, they tell of your glory, they declare what you're like. Uh, so he's moved to worship, and he's made to feel small. Uh, I, th I thought a lot about the line in this psalm where, he's, where he says, when I consider your heavens and the, the work of your fingers, like that's a pretty wild statement. And I know this is poetry, right? And so it's not a kind of literal statement, but he is saying, communicating something here that is uh, <laughs> significant. He's, he's communicating just the, the, the bigness, the magnitude Again, the magnificence of God. Because all the commentaries I read this week, they all point out, like, in the Hebrew, it, it's very clear. He's not saying the, the work of your arm or the work of your power, your strength, or the work of your uh, hands. 
Oftentimes talking about God's work of his hands, but here it's specifically the work of your fingers. He's saying, like, when I, when I consider that you are so incredible that all the stars I'm seeing right now, that is, like, that was easy for you to make. Like, what do you make with your fingers? I make Legos, Lego, Lego building. Like, that's what I think of. I'm, I'm building with Legos. That's, that's the picture of how God created the universe. Like, that's, that's wild, isn't it? Like, David is just confronted as he looks up in the sky at the magnitude and the majesty, the magnificence of God. And what's wild is he only knows, he probably only knew about 5%, or really probably maybe even like 1% of what we know now about the universe, you know? <laughs> like if you think about this, and I kind of was wanting to nerd out on this, I'm going to try not to, you know, give you all too much information here, but just follow me here. Um, what we know about the universe is that now we know that we live in the Milky Way galaxy. You, you know that? Hopefully you do. And it's way bigger. The Milky Way galaxy is way bigger than what we could take in with the human eye. Like it contains billions, that's with a B, billions of stars, and it would take over 100,000 light years to go from one side of our galaxy to the other. And then on top of that, we know that the Milky Way is just one of at least 100 billion galaxies. And many now estimate that that number is more like 200 billion galaxies. I mean, that's like, we're talking about numbers and things like that that just blow my mind. My, my mind hurts. This week, my mind hurt a lot when I was thinking about this. It's, uh, I felt like my daughter, Dello, her favorite question to me is, hey, uh, Dad, who made God? And I say, no one made God. He's always existed. And she says, that makes my brain hurt. <laughs> I said, me too, baby, me too. And, and these, this sense of like the magnitude of God and the majesty of God, what he's made, it makes, <laughs> it makes my brain hurt. Oh, like keep going here. So there's 100 billion galaxies that, uh, uh, that we can see in the known universe. And we call it the known universe because we still don't know how big the universe actually is. Like, in other words, we haven't built a big enough, powerful enough telescope to know exactly what is out there and what God has created. But every time that we do build a bigger, more powerful telescope, we end up seeing a lot more than, than we knew was there. And it's just kind of continually like boggles the mind. We haven't got to the, to the end of this thing yet. Like we, we don't even understand the magnitude of the universe, much less the God who created it with his fingers. Whereas Genesis 1 says that he spoke it into creation. And guys, God is much more majestic than we realize how many of us live in the constant state of awe on how incredible God is? We don't because we end up with a low view of God. And in our fallen nature, we just can't grasp it. And also in our finite nature, we just can't grasp how beautiful, how great, how powerful, how majestic is his name. That's why one of the reasons why I wanted to teach on this psalm. It, it's, it's just a reminder to all of us, or perhaps this is new information to you. And God really is magnificent. 
And it's helpful for us to know that because when we live in light of that, man, it, it really shapes your faith. It, it changes a lot of what you, what, of what your, your faith in following God and chasing after him. It, it helps you see how beautiful he is, and it really changes how you relate to him. Like, um, there's this old uh, sermon that was given uh, by Louis Giglio. I don't know if many of y'all have seen this. It's called Indescribable. Um, and I remember seeing that when I, was, like, when I was in high school. And just, he kind of walks through the universe and shows you all these planets and then all these stars and all this. Like just, and it just blew me away. That stayed with me forever. Um, well, that's an overstatement. I come back to that often over the rest of my life. I lose sight of it often as well. I remember one of the things that he said in a talk, it wasn't actually the indescribable uh, sermon, but it was another sermon about this. He, he made, um, he's talking, just trying to give us a scale of the universe and to help us understand the uh, majesty of God. And he, and he said this, so I'm going to try to remember. <laughs> he says uh, if, that, uh, and that the distance, he pointed out, okay, the distance between the earth and the sun is about 94.5 million miles, okay? That's, that's, that's a, a, a long ways. I think we would all agree. Um, he says, now, to try to understand this, uh, if you were to represent 94.5 million miles with the thickness of a piece of paper, I have a piece of paper. So let's just think, okay, this is the thickness of this, 94.5 million miles, the distance between the earth and the sun. He says, if you were to actually uh, use this scale to show how far the earth is from the next star in our Milky Way galaxy, it would, it would be like this, except I would keep going till I got to 70 feet high, 70 feet high with each piece of paper being 94.5 million miles, 70 feet high. That, that's pretty tall. That's, that's, a lot, that's, a, that's a big distance, I think we would agree, okay? Uh, in fact, if you want to know the exact distance that would be, it, it is uh, 25 trillion, 300 billion miles from Earth. And that's just the next closest star other than the sun to the Earth. If you were to show with this same scale how far it would take you to travel to get to the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. Again, and this is just our galaxy. It would take a stack of paper, each one representing 94.5 million miles. It would take a stack of paper that was 310 miles high. Now, again, for scale, uh, 62 miles up from sea level, you leave the atmosphere of Earth. 62 miles, 310 miles high of pieces of paper like this. I mean, how, like, can you, it's hard to try to wrap our mind around the, ma the majesty and the magnitude of God. I'm just trying to give you a, a, just a sense of that here. And again, that's just to the edge of our galaxy. And again, there are 100 to 200 billion other galaxies. You know, I think there was a picture of that earlier. Like, it's just like we're a speck. Our galaxy is a speck of dust in the known universe. And God made that, as this poem says, with his fingers.
He spoke it, as Genesis 1 says, from his mouth. No wonder David says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, in light of that, Louis Giglio in the message when he's making that point, he, he says, okay, now in light of that, uh, how should you relate to God? <laughs> do, do you relate to that God as if he's just your assistant? That he's just your consultant? And perhaps a consultant, uh, you know, one of many, where you're like, well, what do you think I should do, God? Okay, what do you think I should do, friend? What do you think I should do, wife? Whatever. And like, I'll, I'll go with one of y'all's opinions. No, you're not going to relate to God in that way. You're going to relate to God as if he is your king. Because he is. And you're going to relate to God as your Lord. Because he is. So let me ask, friends. Are you living in a light of reality? See, God is magnificent. Is that how you're relating to him? Is, is that driving you to spend time with him each day? Is that driving you to submit to him because he's your king? Are you, living, is, are you living in a light of reality? Today I want to invite you, and all week I feel like God's been inviting me, <laughs> to live in light of reality. He is more majestic, more magnificent, then we realize he's incredible. Okay, that's the first thing to point out from this psalm. The, the, the second thing I want to point out from this is that it's how this psalm calls us to realize that all people are significant. Now, I, I recognize this is kind of a weird point initially to make because at first it feels like this psalm is saying the opposite of that, right? It's David being moved to ask the question, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them, which feels you know, like a, a philosophical question. It's like David is up on that roof looking at the stars, and he starts thinking really deeply. You ever get in a situation like that? You're like, oh, you're amazing. What am I? Like, what is mankind? You know, and just like, he's <laughs> really lost in deep thought. But this isn't a philosophical question. This, this is a rhetorical question that really captures David's heart cry. And when he compares himself to the glory of God as displayed in creation, he's just left thinking, man, why would God care about me? Why would he care about humanity? Why would we ever think that we're on his mind? Have you ever been made to feel really in insignificant? Or perhaps you just live in that, with that feeling? Oh, I think we probably all have at one point or another. Uh, you know, I, either by, in comparison to God, like David is here, just starts feeling insignificant, negligible, worthless. Or in comparison to even other people, perhaps the excellence of someone else, and you're like, man, they're so good at that, and I can't do that at all, I'm just insignificant. Or perhaps by, as a result of how you've been treated by other people, used, you know, abused, passed over, dismissed, and he just made to feel like, I'm, I am insignificant. Like, I think we all struggle with that at times and perhaps for long periods of time. Um, fourth grade, I, th this is a somewhat humorous time I was made to feel insignificant. I'm okay if you laugh at this story, even though it's all about how I was really hurt. Okay, but... Uh, <laughs> 
fourth grade, uh, my mom goes and buys uh, some, some shoes for me. I need new tennis shoes. She went to go buy new shoes for me. She went to Kmart. And, uh, you know, I'm like 10 years old. I, I don't care. And so I get these shoes, I, and I think, man, these are awesome. They were black with red stitching. It had, they, were, they had a basketball hoop on them, and they were called hoops. And I was like, oh, I like basketball. This, these shoes are awesome. So I wear them to school the next day, elementary school, fourth grade. And one of the cool kids at school sees, sees me in these shoes, and he says, oh, look at generic Jake. Which is like, I mean, come on. Both incredibly clever and so mean, right? And so... Uh, at, by the time that recess rolls around that day, every kid is calling me generic Jake. And it's like, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I go home that day and I grab the, I take my shoes off, I put them back in the box and I hide them in my closet and I literally never wear them again. But like four or five days pass and my mom uh, notices that I'm not wearing my new shoes. And she's, she's like, Jake, why aren't you wearing these? And at first I lied to her because it had kind of been a little rainy uh, those days. So I was like, no, I just don't want to get them dirty, you know, so I, that's why I'm, I'm wearing my old shoes. But then like a week more passed and my mom's like, Jake, really, why are you not wearing your shoes? And I told, so I tell her the story. And my mom, being the awesome mom that she is, immediately says, hey, we're going to Foot Locker. And we go out in the car and we drive to Foot Locker and we, she buys me some Nikes. And the next day I wear those Nikes to school. And everyone treats me normally. I'm not generic Jake any longer. And through that experience, a lie was really embedded deep in my heart. And the lie that I began to believe is that my significance, my worth, my value was as fragile as what shoes I was wearing. Now, that's... That lie, like, lasted all the way until college for me. And the thing that broke it for me at that point in time, I would like to say, is the truth of how God feels about me, which we're getting into in a second here. But for me, it was just that at, in college, it was cool just to wear flip-flops all the time. So I could just wear flip-flops. <laughs> Friends, I, I'm sure that many of y'all have had experiences way worse than being given a... Uh, a nickname like generic Jake. Cheated on, dismissed, abused. I could go on, but things happen to us that cause us to really think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm of no value. I'm insignificant. I'm worthless. But this psalm does not end at verse 4. It does not end with this rhetorical question. What is mankind that you're mindful of? Them? What, what, what are human beings that you would care for them? It, it, it goes from here to answer the question, why are we on God's mind? The magnificent God's mind. Why does the magnificent God care about us? See, this psalm goes in to explain that you are, listen to me, you are significant. Like you really, really are. That you matter to God. That you are valuable. 
And that's not just platitudes. That's not me just saying, like, I'm wanting to lift you up and help you feel good about yourself. No, you are because God says you are. And in this psalm, we see proof that you are and human beings in general and all of humanity is significant. See, King David, after asking these questions, says this beginning in verse 5. He says, uh, you have made them, speaking about all of humanity, including you and me, you made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over, your work, over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. See, what David is doing here, friends, is that he's recapping what God says about humanity in, from, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, where we are told that God made humans in his image, male and female, in his image, and where we are told that the that we are the crown of God's creation, not the stars or the moon or the sun, but humans are the crown of God's creation. Why? Because we are the ones that God said, I, when I make them, I'm going to make them in my image. You are made in the image of God. And he says, as, you're, as my image bears, you're going to rule on my behalf, representing me. Now, I'm going to make you just a little bit lower than, as this says, the angels. But in the Hebrew, the literal word there is Elohim. A little lower than Elohim. Elohim is a name for God. It can be translated spiritual beings, but it can and actually is most frequently translated in the Bible as God. And I think that that's the best translation here. This is God saying, I'm going to make you just a little bit lower than me. And you're going to represent me. I'm making you in my image. You're going to rule over all of my creation. Now, let me ask. Does that not communicate that God says you're significant? That you are uniquely important in creation. That you are the crown of his creation. That he, he uses these Words here like uh, oh, glory and dominion or ruling and, uh, and crown. These are all words that communicate uh, throughout the Bible uh, attributes of God. Yet here they are ascribed to us. Why? Because God created us and he created us in his image and he made us to rule his creation on his behalf as his unique representatives. And friends, do you, you know what that means? It means every human being is infinitely precious to God. It means that you are infinitely precious to God. That God cares about all of us and he cares about how we are treated for we are the crown of creation. We are the image bearers of God. Now, uh, that applies, friends, to whether, whether or not you're mentally handicapped or brilliant. You're made in the image of God. 
That, that applies to whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian. You are made in the image of God. That applies to your economic class, whatever it is, rich, poor, somewhere in between. You matter to God. You are precious God. You bear the image of God. And you know what else this means? It means that everyone else that you see does too. This is, this is a powerful truth that will help you on an emotional, psychological level. For you to know that this is true, that you matter, that you are significant. And it's helpful on a social justice level. Leading us, motivating us, teaching us why to treat everyone with respect and dignity. To show honor, to, to not treat anyone as if they are worthless. Because no one, not one single human being is. For we're made in the image of God. We are significant. That's the proof. We look at creation. We look at what Jesus, we look what the Father said, God says, in Genesis 1 and 2, when he says, I'm going to make them my image bears. Male and female. My image bears. You're significant. This psalm points us to that. Uh, in addition, it goes even beyond that. For not only does David reflect on creation as proof that we're significant to our magnificent God, but he also says something in here that's, that, that takes on incredible meaning in light of Jesus' coming that proves to even a greater extent just how significant you are. See, if I was reading this passage from the King James Version, uh, you know, old school version, verse 4 would have read like this. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? That's an interesting word choice, right? Visited? Like, Why would the King James translators like, write visited there instead of cares for him? Like All the modern translations use the word care there. And the reason why is because the Greek word, I mean, the Hebrew word that we translate care or in King James Version, translate visited, actually speaks of someone who leaves and goes out to find someone in order to show them care. It's someone who goes out seeking someone in order to show care to them. Goes out of your way to find someone to show care to them. Now you think, okay, well, why would David use that word in this psalm, and I, I don't know this for sure, but my, my guess is that in, he's reflecting on Genesis 1 and 2, he also is reflecting on Genesis 3. Where after mankind sins, after Adam and Eve rebel against God and eat of the fruit and go their own way, the Father doesn't leave them and reject them. He comes after them. He calls out for them, where are you? He, he, he visits them in order to ultimately show them care, which we see in the incredible prophecy in Genesis 3. I think that's what David was probably reflecting on. But from what we know now, it even takes more meaning than that. Because in light of the New Testament, in light of the Messiah coming, in light of Jesus' incarnation and coming to earth, we really see God's care. We really see him coming after us. Like I think about Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, if you remember, there's a guy, Zechariah. And Zechariah is visited by an angel, and he's told that he's going to have a son, 
and he's speaking of John the Baptist, and he's told that John the Baptist is actually going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, Jesus. And he doesn't really believe it right away, and so he actually is like not, his, his ability to uh, talk is taken away from him. <laughs> but then whenever uh, John the Baptist is born, and he's able to say, like, what should we name him? He says, we're going to name him John. He ends up moving into uh, this is still all in Luke 1, into a psalm uh, or a song of praise led by the Spirit. And what Zechariah says in Luke chapter 1 is this. Oh, he says, if I can find it in my notes, uh, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited his people and redeemed them. See, uh, Zachariah's response, knowing that the Messiah was coming, was his, he says, praise God, because he has visited us in order to redeem us. Oh. Friends, it's because our magnificent God, who made the stars in the heavens, came to us, visited us to redeem us from our sin. It's because of that that we have the ultimate proof that you and I and all people are extremely significant to God. So he didn't just make us, and he didn't just say that it did, he didn't just make us in his image, and he didn't just place us lower, just a little lower than him to represent him and rule creation on his behalf. But when we failed to do so, which we all have, he came after us. He went out of his way show us care to the point of dying for us. That we could be redeemed. That we could be reconciled to him and forgiven and ultimately so that in the new heavens, the new creation, we will rule with him fully. Are you significant to God? Yes. And there's proof. One proof is you exist. Perhaps a more powerful truth, though, is that Jesus died for you. You are significant to God. God is magnificent. You, friends, are absolutely significant. Okay. One more thing. You with me? You good? I skipped over a verse. Anyone notice I skipped over a verse? Yeah. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 is really weird, right? That's kind of why I skipped over it. It's like, well, you, it's one of those verses that you're reading, and, and I don't know if you do this in the Bible, and you spend time with God in the mornings, and you're just like, all right, I'm reading. You're like, that's so good, that's so good. I don't know what that means. And you're just like, mm, and then I'll just skip over it, just keep on reading, and it's like, all right, that's good. I'll just, I'll look that up sometime, and you rarely ever do, right? But that's, that's Psalm uh, that's, that's verse 2 in Psalm 8. It's like, well, I don't know. But um, it's interesting. As weird as it is, it's actually extremely important. And the reason we know it's extremely important is that it's the only verse in this psalm that Jesus himself quotes. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? The, the, the psalm is, 
through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And the avenger there is not Thor or Iron Man. It's not even, a, it's not a positive term that it actually means like a, a hater or a vengeful person, someone who's actually opposing God, right? And so you like, okay, so you're saying that, David, like, why would you say like, God's going to overcome evil He's going to confront these haters with through what? Like through um, infants, <laughs> you know, through children, like through in that context, especially the people that, that uh, there was like very little value put on. Like today, you, you new parent, you walk into a room with your, with your, your infant, you got the attention of almost everybody in there, right? Like, like ooing and aahing over your kid. Back in that culture, uh, children were like, they were overlooked. They were despised or, you know, at least by society in the sense of like, these are, until you can start carrying your own weight, you're of very little worth, you know? And that's how they viewed them. But here, it's like through children, through infants, that's who God's working through to accomplish his uh, confront, confrontation of evil and his enemies and these avengers. And what in the world are you talking about? When Jesus quotes this passage, Matthew 21, he gives us a lot more understanding into it. See, what happens in Matthew 21 is that Jesus, uh, near the very end of his ministry, leading up to the week that he's going to go to the cross, he enters Jerusalem. It's known as Palm Sunday now. And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he, he enters on a donkey, you know, if you're familiar with the passage. And that bewilders everybody because they, they thought the Messiah was coming in power to overthrow Rome. They thought that when the Messiah came into Jerusalem, he's going to be riding a white horse with troops behind him, and he's going to fight and win the victory over Rome. But Jesus shows up on a donkey. And the people that are greeting him are not the elite in society. When they start shouting Hosanna and putting the palm trees out before him, others, the more elite, the religious leaders inside, they're bewildered by that whole thing. And then when Jesus goes, and again, Matthew 21, same passage, he moves, he goes to the temple. And when he's at the temple, who's there to greet him? It's the blind and the lame and the poor. And children. And the children there are shouting Hosanna. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, again, bewildered by this whole thing, come to Jesus and say, like, do you hear what they're saying? These children. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I hear what they're saying. And then he says, or I should say, and that's where he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. So he says, through the praise of children and infants, or sorry, from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And saying that, like he's giving this weird verse context. And he's saying uh, to the Pharisees, the people who actually opposed him, the people who would later that week see that he was crucified, he says, don't you know that this is how God deals with the evil in this world? As great and magnificent and powerful he is, he surprisingly doesn't deal with evil through flexing his muscles, but through weakness. 
that he overcomes evil through suffering, that God deals with evil in a way that is absolutely upside down to anything that you would expect, which is why in the ultimate example of Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, in the ultimate example how God's glory and power and magnificence manifests itself against the evil in this world, God visited us. And he didn't come in power, but in weakness as a baby, that God became an infant. That he was born in a manger, and as he grew up, instead of taking power, he lost power. And at the end of his life, he went to the cross to die for our sins. And why, friends, did he die for our sins? It's because he was mindful of us. It's because he knew we needed saving. And he was willing to do it because we matter to him. This is why he came and visited us, to find us and to redeem us. It's because he really does care for us. See, Jesus is the ultimate proof that you are significant. Significant to our magnificent God and even the weakest, most vulnerable, and most overlooked of us matter to God. For the Lord has chosen to display his power and overcome evil through the weak and the overlooked by becoming that himself so that we can be redeemed. Friends, may these two truths, the truth of God's magnificence and our significance, lead us to worship and relate to God according to reality. And may the truth of our significance, of huma- the significance of humanity come home to your heart and impact how we view ourselves and how we treat others. Treating others with the worth and dignity that God has bestowed upon all people. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.